Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Today is not as much a title as much as it is a topic that I want to deal with today. I want to talk to you about the word ambivalent. And if you read the Passion Translation very much, you might have already heard this word, or you may just be a really smart person and you know this word. I wasn't. Uh, so when I come across it uh, in the midst of a study where we're going today, uh, I, we're just going to get into this. Okay, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6. Uh, if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, it won't be on the screen. Uh, it was pretty amazing how this happened. It's been probably three weeks now, and uh, I'd been just drawn into this story, the, the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, and was just diving in deep, and God kept trying to show me some things, but I don't know if y'all are as hard-headed as I am, but it usually takes him several attempts before I realize what he's trying to tell me. And I was just kind of in this story trying to figure it out, and I came here on a Sunday morning about three weeks ago, early in the morning, nobody was here yet, and I come in and put on one of my favorite preachers that I listen to. I've literally, I told Dad, been listening to him since I can, since I have memories. So whatever age it is, you actually start getting memories. I've been listening to him since then. Uh, I've come in here and put him on and he said, all right, turn to your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 11, and he began to talk about Gideon. And that just happened to be the same morning Dad got up here and began to preach and said, all right, turn to your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to talk about Gideon. So God had my attention then. And uh, so today, we are going to dive deep. I, I, I don't want to do this passage and injustice by skimming over the top. Today I want to dive in, and I'm going to be very open, honest, vulnerable. I'm going to share some things that is my story, all right? So some of it may be offensive, some of it may be not. I'm telling you it's my story. And this is what God has been unlocking for me through this, uh, this story of Gideon. So ch- Judges chapter 6, verse 11 says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, his, uh, which belonged to Joash. Somebody say, the tree belonged to Joash. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared and said to him the famous quote, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if you're really with me, then why? How many has asked that before? Well, if you're really that good, then why? Mm, we're going to get into it today, guys. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Let me show you something here. Gideon responds to God with an adamacy. And God says, go in this might. What might? The might you just responded to me with. Take the very thing within you that's making you so adamant. 
Take the thing within you that is causing you to ask and go with that might. Don't go with someone else's might. Don't go with what somebody else thinks about it. Because if I just take what you think about it, I'll be more likely to give up because it's your fight, not mine. I'm just going to be real with y'all. I know y'all are all perfect brothers and sisters, and y'all fight just as hard for the person next to you. But a lot of times what happens is you just try to jump on someone else's fight. But God said, take the adamacy. I hope that's a word because I'm using it today. That has brought you to me with such boldness. Because come on, you got to be pretty bold. You got to be pretty bold to look at God and say, well, if you are, then why? God said, all right, now I want you to take that very thing. I want you to take that very emotion. I want you to take that very feeling that you have right now, and you're going to go use it. You're going to turn it around. What, uh, there's, a, there's a song that's been, um, I wish I could even think of what it was, but I can't. But in the song it says, um, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant, and they sing it over, and I've been playing it all week long, just playing it in my head. Because what happens is the enemy thinks, if I can get you emotional, I can take you out. And God said, no, I'll use that emotion. I'll take every emotion. I'll take the anger. I'll take the disappointment. I'll take the heart. I'll take all of it. I can use any of it. So he said, let's go in this might of yours. And you shall save someone. Israel. There it is. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Notice something here. Immediately he goes into, I can't do this because we're the smallest, the weakest, yada, yada, yada. So I did some digging for you so you wouldn't have to. And come to find out, he is the great-grandson of Joseph himself. So don't, don't, don't come to me with, oh, I'm nobody. Joseph was your great-granddaddy. You better get it together. See, this is the problem is it's so easy to say, well, I can't. You don't know. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. So I just begin to look back. And dig into their family line. As a matter of fact, I got totally distracted and spent like an hour just researching the genealogy of these guys. And come to find out, most of it was pretty boring. So I'm not going to spare you. I'm going to spare you all the details. But when I begin to see where he came from. In other words, if it was a great grandparent, we're close enough. If we live a full life, you're close enough to at least you get to meet your grandparents. You may not remember it. You may have been small. But so that tells me there had to have been moments of them sitting around the table and him hearing stories about Joseph. Him hearing stories about the incredible things that God did. Him hearing all these kinds of things. So what we see here is him in a struggle trying to come up with a reason of why he can't do what was asked of him. But what I want to do before we get too far into the story, and I'm not going to go through the whole story today. It's, it's, it's pretty long. But I want to look at the, just the origin here, how this all starts. In verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree that belonged to Joash. The crazy thing is, it says he came and sat under the tree that belonged to his dad. And then he appeared where he was threshing wheat. Why show up and sit under the tree that belonged to his dad? 
I have a theory. Y'all know me, I love theories. I think if you don't have theories, you're not studying the Bible well enough. My theory is meeting under his dad's tree with his dad was a ritual. His dad had planted something and cultivated it in such a way that it was the angel's natural reaction to show up in this place with his father. Because we quickly judge Joash because of where we find out he's at lately, but his name means fire of Yahweh. Oh, I want that. Can we change his name? I decided he's now Joash. Benjamin Joash. Sorry, Colby. Your name's not that cool. Fire. So even though we meet Joash when he's kind of in an iffy place, there must have been something at one point. It almost reminds me that every day Adam would what? Walk with God in the cool of the day. It was a pattern. See, it's hard to understand this when you don't have your own pattern. We're just going there. See, what happened is I believe Joash had created a relationship with who I also believe is Jesus Christ, not just an angel. And I'm not even going to get into that side of it, but we can debate that whenever you want because Jesus shows up lots of times in the Old Testament if you're reading it. So Jesus shows up to a place that doesn't even belong to Gideon. It belongs to his father. So Joash had created a place where his kid would get to have an encounter. I am becoming more and more convinced that one of the strictest judgments we will experience is how we raise our kids. We fixing just get in it. Jesus said, if you keep this child from coming to me, it would be better if someone drowned you in a river. Yeah, that's your Sunday school lesson in the Bible. You know, a little felt board. I don't remember seeing somebody drowning in the river on the little green felt board. Some of y'all ain't been in church long enough to know what I'm talking about. You see what I'm saying? He's, so what I'm coming to the conclusion is, one of our strictest measures of judgment will be, how'd you handle your kids? So Joash has created a place where his son gets to encounter God. I have determined that in my life, what I want more than anything is to cultivate a place where my kids can encounter the presence of God. If you miss that, you missed it all. If you miss that, we miss it all. Why? Because Jesus said, if you keep them from coming to me, it would be better if someone drowned you in a river. That's harsh. That's extreme. You know why it's extreme? Because Jesus was extreme about it. How we raise our kids. What are we doing? I told you I'm going to say some things that are my life, my personal conviction. So if it offends you, you can email the lead pastor, Dean Love. He'll handle all comments, okay? But I got into an awkward situation yesterday. I can't even believe I'm going here. I got into an awkward situation yesterday. I was, uh, I'm not going to say where I was at. I was in a place within the United States. And someone said, you're going to take your kids to Goblins in the Park? I know everybody just shut me down right there. 
but I'm just, this is my story, all right? So don't get offended yet. Are you going to take, and I went, uh, uh, no. And they were just floored. What? Why? Why would you not do that? And I said, uh, well, uh, uh, we, um, I don't know. <laughs> I said, we, uh, we do something on our, in our, our neighborhood and we, you know, uh, and I, I, I skirted around it best I could. But the more I thought about it, I don't take my kids because I live with a very strong f- conviction. And that conviction is that perfect love casts out fear. And we personally went to war in our home to rid it of fear because it was plaguing my son. He couldn't sleep at night because of fear. Before that, guess where we went every, whatever yesterday was? We was right up there with him. But then God began to show me, you want me to remove something that you keep exposing him to. I'm... So guess what we did? No, we ain't going. You know why? It's not about me. What am I, give, what am I exposing him to? Oh, well, well, well it's not that bad. I've seen some of the people. I've seen some of the death and things that were walking around and being exposed to my eight-year-old. And I want my eight-year-old to experience a terebinth tree where God shows up. Not some stupid Halloween costume party because it's your right to do what you want to do. Well, you go where you want to go, and I'm going to bring my kids to the terebinth tree. And I'm going to make sure they get exposed to something real. And I'm not going to beg God to take away their nightmares if I'm going to turn around and expose them to everything that causes it. So Gideon has an encounter in a place that his dad created. Gideon did nothing to create this place. He was just being a son. He was just hanging out. Guess what? Stephen's not going to have to do anything to create the moments where he has encounters with God. Why? Because he has parents who are creating and cultivating something that he will be able to have a moment and and has had moments and encounters that will forever change his life. And I am confident to say when I stand before God himself, he won't have to say, well, you shouldn't have exposed them. You shouldn't have left them. You should whatever it may have been. He met him under a terebinth tree that his father cultivated. So what are you cultivating for your kids? Are you growing a terebinth tree in your life? to where one day they run headlong into God? Or are you creating and cultivating some things in your life that one day they run headlong into a therapist? It's about our kids. It's not about us. It's not about our personal pleasures and preferences and all the egotistical, narcissistic things we do, dressing them up like things they don't even know what it is. But it makes us look good. And all the while, we're exposing them, exposing them, exposing them. And then one day, you'll come to one of the pastors. I don't know what to do. Plant a tree. Plant a terebinth tree and begin to cultivate the presence of God in your home. I don't know if there's any other topic that I'm more 
that I burn with more than to see parents raise children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. When he said, train them up in the way they should go and they won't run away, that didn't mean force them to come to church on Sunday. (laughs) You know what it meant? Plant a tree in your house. Cultivate the presence of God in your house. Create a routine in your house where the angel of the Lord shows up. You know what was crazy about this story? Joash wasn't even there. But the angel still showed up. But Yahweh still showed up. This is too foreign, isn't it? So what are we planting? What are we cultivating in our children? Are we planting a place where they can experience the presence of God? Or are we planting mindsets that says your opinion is the most important thing in your life? (laughs) You with me, Kenny? Man, I'm so stirred by this. The angel of the Lord sat under the tree and then revealed himself to Gideon. He sat under the tree that Joash had planted, that Joash had cultivated, that Joash had spent time in. He showed up there first. I want our children to have encounters with God that are more than just a revival weekend where our student pastor has spent all her time and effort focusing on that weekend. I want them to have encounters at night before they go to bed. You want to know the remedy to your kid dealing with scary things at night? Going to bed in his presence because no scary thing can enter that. No scary thing can enter into the presence of God. I don't know why I am hung up here. Cultivate something in your life so that your kids encounter God because I am totally convinced it will be the strictest judgment you you reach in heaven. Later we see Gideon, once once Yahweh has appeared to him, And he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And what's crazy to me here is, I feel like we're so quick to judge Gideon here. I mean, we've all done it, right? How many times have we used the word coward? Huh? Come on, let's just be real. We have thrown the book at Gideon. I can't believe he was just hiding. He was just in there hiding. Wasn't even doing nothing. Even the fact that he questions God, we're just throwing the book at him. Just judging him for everything he's saying. And we've, we've, we've created this idea that he's just some scared coward. But what if God seen him as the only one in the story that was willing to do anything under such extreme conditions? This entire region was under grave oppression. The Bible says that the enemy would come in and steal all that they had for sustenance. That doesn't mean they came in and took 75% and said, you just try to live on 25. No, they took it all. As a matter of fact, if you study into these guys that were coming, their, their tactic was to starve you to death so that you wouldn't fight back, you wouldn't do anything, you wouldn't. So they were being starved to death. And one man, 
And the entire region says, I'm going to sneak in here and thresh out some wheat. And we called him a coward. Where was everybody else? Have we become so arrogant and self-righteous that we have judged Gideon for risking his life to feed his family? What if we looked at this different? Because we preach it, oh, God didn't see him as a coward, but we do. Right? We keep seeing him as this. We keep painting him as this. But God shows up, and, 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 and just go with me here. What if God was thinking, if he was willing to do that by himself, imagine what he'd be willing to do if I was with him. Let me give you this. You ready? Uh, a, a great theologian from a long time ago, John Trapp, said, In the Bible, God usually appeared to the busy in visions, like Satan doth to the idol with manifold temptations. Wow. Wow. God shows up and deals with the busy. Satan takes over the idol. We're blasting, we're blasting Gideon because he's hiding and doing something, and God is saying he's the only one doing anything. So guess who I'm going to choose? He didn't show up to no one else in the land. And he shows up and says, you're busy doing something by yourself? Watch what you can do with me. When I was getting into this, uh, God began to speak to me on doing things in fear and doing things in faith. And, and as I began to look at this, the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me and say, when he was doing it in fear, he was able to feed his family. But when he does it in faith, he saves a nation. Oh, come on, that's too much. See, most of you are just going to your job in fear. You may say, well, I'm not scared of nothing. Yeah, you're scared of not having money, so you go to work. It just is what it is, right? You're just scared to, you, because when you don't go, guess what? They don't send you a check. It don't work like that. The Bible taught us, you don't work, you don't eat. So what happens is we do it out of fear. Well, if I don't work, I'm not going to have this, and we're not going to have that, my kids are going to But what if we did the same thing, go to work? I'm not telling you don't go to work. Go to work. But what if you went to work in faith? Then maybe it would move from I can feed my family and I can maybe pay my bills this month. I may have to catch up on a couple next month. To God flipping it around and getting in the middle of it and saying, now that you're doing it by faith, I'll give you enough to feed your family and their family, and maybe even that family over there. But it's the difference. We're fixing to see a transition, a transformation in Gideon's life where he goes from doing one thing in fear to doing something in faith, and it changes everything. It was the transition that he had to go through in his life. thing about transition is it's hard. Transitions are revealing, and they often leave you vulnerable. You ever notice that Satan didn't desire to sift Peter as wheat until Peter was getting ready for a major transition? You notice what I'm saying? They were about to transition from walking with Jesus to Jesus not being there. This is another area that I was super convicted about in the same way I was convicted over Gideon. We give the disciples a really hard time in this set of chapters. Well, they went back fishing. Peter cussed out three people. Well, that's three less than you did. That was sorry. That shouldn't have came out. 
You know what I mean? We, we start throwing all these jabs. They were in a transition that we can't even fathom. They were losing, in their minds, they were losing the Messiah who had just walked them through all that and been with them through every single thing. And now they find themselves in a transition that we can't even imagine. And it's in those transitions where Satan decides, this is a good time to sift you. Because you're transitioning and things are weird and they're vulnerable and they're exposed. And oftentimes we, like the disciples, we start thinking, well, maybe I should go back to fishing. Because this, this ain't good. You know what I mean? We should start going backwards. And he comes in and begins to sift. He comes in because we're in a transition. This is the, this is why I believe transition is so hard. Because we are, there's a fear that I'm not strong enough or capable of doing this differently than I've been doing it. In other words, I don't trust me on this level. I'm just going to start putting some stuff out there to you guys and just be honest and vulnerable here. But I believe the disciples' greatest level of maturity was trusting themselves to continue without Jesus. They had to show an extreme maturity by being willing to go on after Jesus had left. To make decisions and moves and believe that they were the right ones. To make a decision and trust it. That's what we deal with, right? We're constantly going back, well, was that the right decision? What about this? And, 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 and it's back and forth. And we struggle in this area. I want to show you what he began to tell me here. When I got into this part of the study, he took me to James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. You all know these scriptures. It's the scriptures where he says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Think that he'll receive nothing from God. I want to read it to you in the Passion Translation. It says, For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in this condition? Ambivalence. The word ambivalent means having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or someone. So begin to ask yourself, am I an ambivalent person? Am I constantly struggling with mixed feelings and contradicting ideas about something or about someone? Maybe that someone is me. Maybe those contradictory ideas are the word and, 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 and what I'm experiencing right now. And all these things are swirling and we find ourselves uh, in this level of ambivalence. And the thing about ambivalence is it causes you to disengage. And most people in churches are sitting still and not engaging because of the mixed emotions and the contradicting ideas. And, and it's back and forth. And I don't know. One day I'm awesome and one day I'm not. And, and all these things are constantly going back and forth. Brennan Manning said in, in, uh, in a book called Ruthless Trust, he said, Waffling back and forth between a decisive yes and a discouraging no keeps you in a state of terminal procrastination. Terminal procrastination. 
when you can't settle in on one thing, you begin to procrastinate. And as you procrastinate, it becomes terminal. People don't quit church in a day. They procrastinate. They get back and forth, back and forth, and it slowly comes until it's terminal, until it kills you, until it takes you out. He said, the ambivalent man. He's, he's got mixed feelings. He's got mixed emotions. His ideas are contradicting one another. And therefore, he becomes disengaged. I believe this is Gideon. I believe this is us. He was hiding, but he was also doing what he could. He was scared and told the angel he was so low, but yet we learn later he had lots of servants under him. He was in a position of authority and leadership, but yet tells the angel exactly why he can't lead. You see, it's both sides. He's going back and forth. Because where he's at in life is real. It's really happening. <laughs> They're really pillaging their land. He really does have people under him. The God, God is really calling him up to another level. And all this is swirling. All this is going back and forth. And as I begin to read on down in this, looking at his contradicting ideas and things that were happening, how his ambivalence was causing him to make decisions and then not trust the decision he made. And, and what happens often is when you begin to contradict your own decisions, that's the definition of double-minded. So it's good to say, oh, well, I'm not double-minded. I have faith. But if you make decisions and contradict the decision you made, that means there's double minds. Right. See, here's the deal. Double-mindedness doesn't mean I'm 50% yes and 50% no. It just means two are present. I may be 98% yes, 2% no, but there's still two entities represented. So we have to be very careful because Satan will even use that to keep you where you are and say, yeah, but you're, you're way more than 50% yes. I mean, come on. You're at least a strong 75. You know, you just have those moments. But if we allow double-mindedness to, 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 to keep existing in our lives, the scripture says, how do you think you'll get anything from God? So, so what happens is this becomes present within our mind and we begin to contradicting. We have an ambivalence about us and therefore we can't move forward. But I want to show you an amazing statement in this story. If you have your Bible still open, I hope you do. Judges chapter 6, verse 16. I hear some pages turning, so I'm going to let y'all get there because this is so important. This is where God began to just open it up for me. Judges 6 and 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And when I began to look at this, I couldn't get past that statement, one man. So I began to look into the story and study out commentaries and look at different approaches. And some translations will tell you that meant he would defeat the Midianites like they were one man. But the story contradicts that analogy or that translation. So I feel like that translation is not healthy because if he would have done it as one man, that would have meant he did it all at one time. But he doesn't. 
you read the story, he has to chase them and follow, and there's a lot that goes on. So I kept looking and going back and forth. And I knew it didn't mean he would do it as one man, as in by himself, because we know the biggest part of this story is God giving him an army that he does it with. So I begin to ask questions, and I begin to seek God. And I believe what he was saying is that Gideon would defeat the Midianites when he became one man. When there was no longer two of him present. Mm, my gosh. When ambivalence was dealt with and he became single. When he became single-minded, single-focused. When he was convinced of who he was, God said, then you'll defeat the Midianites. But his Mixed feelings and contradicting ideas are going back and forth, back and forth. And you can't move forward when you're going back and forth. So God said, I need you to quit going side to side, become single so that you can go forward. There's some really amazing things that God would love for you to do in your life. But you won't do them as long as you're ambivalent. As long as you keep second guessing every decision. As long as you keep saying, oh, what about... Can I, let me, let me show you this. The disciples lose Judas, right? But they have to have 12. So they come up with a foolproof plan. It's, it's way up there. I don't know how they came up with this. They decided to draw straws to see who would fill his place. And when they drew the straw, there's not one scripture where they went back and said, should we have done that different? There was no mixed feelings. There was no contradicting ideas. They trusted that if this is the one we drew, that's the one God picked. And let's move forward. Let's leave it alone. Let's let it lay where it's at. But the problem is contradicting ideas keeps going back and opening old boxes. Well, what about this? And maybe I should have said this. And maybe I should have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have went here. And all these things. So you're so busy going back and forth. Back, You can never progress. And when you're not progressing, you procrastinate. And when you start procrastinating, you give up. It's just what happens. He said, when you're one man, when you're one man, maybe this is why Jesus said, the old you has to die. Because there can only be one. There can only be one decision maker. There can only be one that, 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 there can only be one voice. But we keep resurrecting that other one. And that other one keeps saying, well, what about this? And maybe you should have done this. And maybe you should have said that. And maybe you should have went here. But he said, you're going to win this when you become one man. When you're single, whole, you can win this. He couldn't fulfill his purpose as long as he had mixed feelings and contradicting ideas about God or about himself. I want to show you something right here because I feel like it's easy. It's easy to create a singleness in how I feel about God. But it's not so easy in how I feel about me. I trust God. I don't trust me. Y'all ready? Look at what happens here. 
You know, we always hear about, if, if you know anything about the story of Gideon, you know about the fleece, right? Uh, Dad brought it out a couple weeks ago. Gideon gets ready to make a move, lays out the fleece three times. I love it. Uh, I love it because the third time he comes in, he's like, God, don't be angry. I love that he came in like that. Like, I know I'm being hard-headed. I get it. It's, but don't be angry. And he goes in this, but that's not the first time God had to prove to him. Those three times are actually following a first time. So let me show you what happens here. Uh, you should have eat them as one man. Verse 17, uh, he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that you, that is you who talk to me. So what's he asking him? Prove you to me right now. Prove to me that you are Yahweh, that you are who you are. So he says, all right, I'm going to go get a, a meal, a sacrifice, I'm going to put it out. If fire comes down, licks it up, you know, it's me or whatever, and God does it. God wipes out the sacrifice. And it goes on, and Gideon builds an altar there and calls it the Lord is peace. So what just happened? He just had a moment of understanding who God is. And after he does it, God gives him his first mission, his first thing he gets to do. He says, sneak into the town, tear down all the idols, Actually, he don't tell him to sneak in. He says, go into town, tear down all the idols. And Gideon said, tell you what, I'll sneak in at night and I'll pull down all the idols and then I'll run really fast. So this is what he does. He goes in, tears down all the idols. So this was God showing him who God is and that God would use him in this moment, that God would be with him in this moment. Uh, next we see, let me, let me catch up with myself here. Now in chapter 6, verse 36. So he's done the first thing, and now God is calling him to go wipe out this other army. So look what he says in verse 36. First time he said, prove you to me. Now look, verse 36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So now what's he doing? God, I trust you. I know you're awesome. Like, you don't mess things up. But I don't trust me. I feel like this is where the majority of the church is sitting right now. I trust God. Like, God's awesome. But <laughs> have, you, have you hung out with me? Like, God. And, and then he goes through a longer process to believe in himself than the process he went through to believe in God. I believe what happens too often is we get through the first process probably of believing in God, but we never endure the long process of believing in us. Let me show you something. I honestly feel, this is just, this is just me sharing in my writing, I honestly feel as if I have no doubt in my heart as it relates to the capability of Jesus. But I feel riddled with doubt as it relates to my own capabilities. I don't trust me. Yet his desire has always been and will continue being to use me and to never push me to the side and get it done himself. So he enters us into a process where he said, now that you trust me, I need you to trust you. Because the crazy thing about God if I, if I can even say that. Father, if that was wrong, I'm sorry. The wild thing is, 
He's not going to do it without you. Constantly. He's constantly, I sought for a man. I looked for someone. He needed a Mary. He needed a Gideon. He needed an Abraham. He, he needed these people because that's the way he designed it. But the problem is, if Satan can convince you to not believe in you, he did his job. He don't care if you believe in God. He believes in God. He better believe in God. You see what I'm saying? He don't care about that. He don't care if you come to church, recite the... We don't recite nothing. <laughs> he don't care if you come to church and know your Bible and do all that. But if you ever start believing in you, all of a sudden. So guess what happens? He goes through the three fleeces. He does all that. And God sends him to the camp to listen to what the enemy is saying. Guess what the enemy is saying? We're going to be taken out by the sword of Gideon. This is what the enemy is saying. So all of a sudden, Gideon starts saying, you know what? I think I got this. I think this is possible. Because God done showed me that he is who he is. So I trust he's got my back. He was with me when I tore the idols down and did all that, and they changed my name to something terrible. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it was a cool meaning, but he was with me through all that. And now all of a sudden, God is showing me that I'm the one. See, I think what happens is you're waiting for someone to come but the someone is you. You're, you're waiting for uh, 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 the anointed man of the hour to come in and change your home. But the answer is you. The answer is you. So he said, I'm about to prove to you that you're the one, Gideon. I know you believe in me. I know you trust in me, and I appreciate that. That's great. But now I need you to trust in you. Because when you trust in you, there's no limit. Nothing's impossible. And this is the greatest struggle that we come up against. You know why? Because no one knows me like I know me. No one sees the ambivalence as loud as I do. How do you see something loud? Y'all know what I mean. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm with me every day. I'm with me when I'm alone and y'all ain't there. I'm with me in those moments. I heard a statement this, uh, in a book I'm reading, and it said, No mother on this planet has ever overlooked the faults of a child on the level that God does. And I was just wrecked by this. And he began to show me, I know. I know Gideon. I know Kenny. I know all that. I shared with the worship band this morning that God took me into the parable of where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a, fee, uh, a man who found a treasure in a field and he bought the field. And we've messed up by teaching that that man was us. Because biblically in context, that man was Jesus. If you go back and read, he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus bought the field. What does that tell me? Jesus knew your field. He knew it was dirty. He knew it was messed up. He knew it was going to need work. He knew it was going to take effort. He knew everything that was going on. But because of the treasure, he said, I'm buying the whole thing. I want the whole thing. I want all of you. I want all your failures, all your mistakes, all your screw-ups. I want all of it, and I'm going to pull the treasure out of it. There's a scripture, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because I can't quote it right now. I have it in my office. But there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, be the one that finds the gold in people. Anyone can see the dirt. As a matter of fact, it may say it like that. Anyone can see the dirt, be the one that finds 
something. It's really good. You see what I'm saying? That's the nature of Jesus. He, he sees all the dirt around it. He gets all that. But man, he sees some gold in there. And he's going to bring you through a process that you trust God and then you trust you. And when you begin to be one single person, he said, I'm going to save a nation with you. I'm going to turn it all around. I'm going to save your house. I'm going to save your neighborhood. I'm going to save your family. I'm, I can do all that. He said, but to defeat them, you're going to have to be one man. See, often we find ourselves in a multiplicity of circumstances. I was very honest with uh, our elders this week and just sharing some stuff in my own life. And I told them that I was in a place where I felt like simultaneously I was experiencing relational heaven. Like the relationships I have around me, uh, us elders, my wife, my kids, friends. It's incredible. Like I look back sometimes and think, I didn't know life could be this good. And I call that my, that's my heaven on earth. But I felt like it's this, simultaneously I was experiencing relational heaven and a mental hell at the same time. It was a multiplicity of circumstances in my life. And, and we all have them. It's a multiplicity of things happening around you. Some may be good. Some may be bad. And it's a swirl. And it's all this chaos. And he began to take me into this um, being single-minded. And he began to show me that the answer for a multiplicity of circumstances is a singleness of you. Double-mindedness causes you to be tossed back and forth between circumstances. But when I am one man, it creates its own stability that trumps the duplicity around me. Just because the circumstances are, there's a multiplicity of them, doesn't mean you have to be that way. He's looking for singleness. I'm, I'm, I'm single-minded. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He's looking for us to become one man, one person, one entity. To do away with the ambivalent nature that has caused us to remain silent, steal, procrastinate. It's caused us to disengage. It's the, it's the ambivalence. It's the, it's the mixed emotions. It's the contradicting ideas. They're holding us. Because we don't trust us. We don't trust who we are. But in this, God began to show me that if, if he trusts in me, why is that not enough? If the God of the universe, who knows everything, trusts me enough to use me, why can't I? Why can't I trust in me the way that he does? I want to see me like he sees me. I want to believe in me the way that he believes in me. So today, as we just begin to wrap this up, I want you to think from this point of view. I want you to think, first and foremost, do I trust God? 
do I tr- I'm, I just started a book this week. I was telling the praise about it. it's called Ruthless Trust, and I'm only a chapter in, and it is blowing my mind on trust. But how often do we believe God for the situation, the circumstance, the whatever it may be? We just don't believe in us. We believe if he would just pick someone else to do it. Pick someone else to start that business. Pick someone else to go into the school and talk to people. If you just pick someone else to lead that or to do that or to say that, and, and that becomes our mindset. And we're like Gideon saying, but I'm the least. I'm weak. I'm messed up. I'm this. I'm that. And we have all these reasons. And all those reasons are keeping us just outside of our purpose. Just outside of our destiny. He's wanting to call us into a place corporately and individually where we begin to trust that we're the ones. He's chosen us. He showed up at our wine press. While we're doing what we can, He's shown up and begin to call us to a higher level. The question is, are you going to trust in yourself enough? Are you going to become single-minded enough Begin to step out into this area. Uh, Bliss, if you want to come play. Transition is such a crazy thing, and uh, I found myself caught right in the middle of some transition and just things happening. Uh, so many things. Uh, we launched out and started our own business, and it's almost growing faster than I planned on or thought about, and in the middle of it, things happening here. My wife decided to have a baby. Uh, <laughs> it's just a lot was happening, and there's so much transition and so much happening. And when you're in those moments of transitioning, Satan comes to sift you. He comes to reveal everything. But what's, what you have to be careful is Satan's desiring to sift you. But in the middle of it, God is also revealing some things. And it came to the point, Dad came by the house and just sat down on the couch with me and just began to share and pour into my life, expose some things, things that were being shown to me. And through the middle of it, uh, this sounds crazy now, but I'm just going to go with it. In the middle of it, because we started this business, I had sold my truck recently and I was just needing a truck, and I've been searching and trying to buy a truck. Things just haven't worked out, stuff like that. I've been just after this, and it's been on my mind. You can ask my wife. I've searched. I told her I'm sick of looking at trucks. I don't care if I ever see another truck again. But in the process, God revealed to me what I really thought about me. Because my wife, she handles all of our finances. She's amazing. She's so amazing for the second time in our life at only 31 years old. We're about to pay off all of our debt again other than our house. That's incredible, all right? That's thanks to her because she just tells me, don't use your card. Okay, you can use your card today. (laughs) But in the middle of it, she was responsible for, if I buy a truck, I have to pay for it. They don't give them away. And I need a good big truck for this business. Don't I, Dad? It needs to be a big diesel. And so I'm in the pro- and she's telling me, well, you know, we got to stay at this mark. This is where we got to be. And, and she's doing the right thing. 
She knows what we can afford. She knows what we can handle in the moment. And I came at it like, no, we're, we need to take a risk on this business. We need to jump out there. And I was just trying to be all sound really cool. Like, I believe in this business, so we're going to take a risk. And in the middle of it, I just, bleh, it just came out in our conversation. And I told her, you don't want to do this because you don't believe in me. You don't believe I can be successful enough to maintain what it would take to have this. And as it was coming out, it's like I could hear it as I was saying it to her, but I was saying it to me. It was almost as if he had taken it somehow and twisted it that I needed to buy this truck to prove that I could do something, to prove that I could handle it, to prove that I was good enough. And it was just silent in the car for a minute. I could hear her just crying because I was a jerk. And I was just in this moment, and, and it was like, the repentance just came out the same way. And I just began to say, I'm so sorry. It wasn't fair for me to say, you think about me what I think about me. And God used it to reveal to me that I didn't believe in myself enough to do what I was doing. So I thought I had to do some big things to prove to everyone, I can do this. I can handle this. I can take. And he just began to reveal the insecurities in my own life. I, I believe carpentry work and construction, it's my, I believe it's a gift. God gave me a gift. I started young in high school and just took, and I love to do it. It was a gift. But I was, I was already in the mindset of, I have to make this. I have to prove this. I have to. And I share that with you to let you know that it's very easy to find yourself in a place where you're convinced that you believe in God but you don't do anything because you don't believe in you. And God proved to us with Gideon and multiple other ones in the Bible that his desire is to first prove to you that he is who he says he is. That's what he did with Gideon. He said, I'm going to prove to you I'm with you. I'm going to be there. But then his desire is to turn around and prove to you you're the one he's going to use. He believes in you. So I want to pray with you this morning. We have been doing some praying and just seeking direction for Life Church based on some of the things God has been showing Dad of what 2020 is going to look like the rest of this year. And we're so convinced that God is in the, He's moving right now. He's wanting to just do some things. And because of the level of the things that He wants to do, I'm convinced that he's took time this morning to assure you, I've chosen you to do it. Don't talk yourself out of what God is calling you to do. Don't keep pushing those dreams to the side and saying, yeah, but I just, I don't think I got it. I don't think I'm the one. Well, if Gideon wasn't the one, God wouldn't have showed up under that tree. So he's given you some dreams and some visions, some ideas, some crazy things maybe and you're thinking oh my gosh how in the world but if you'll step out there trust him and trust you I believe he's going to open some things for this church for you at your family so I want to pray that over you this morning before we transition to anything else I just want to as a pastor as a leader of this church I just want to bless you this morning that, that you begin to accept the process of believing in yourself so, Father, first I want to say thank you. 
Thank you that you are so gracious. You're so merciful. God, I thank you that we, like Gideon, keep coming back asking for proof, and you don't get angry. You keep loving us. You keep calling us up. So today, God, I'm, I'm praying for us as a family that we would embrace the process of believing in ourselves, that we would embrace the, the, the sifting that comes in the transition that reveals who we really are. And when negatives are revealed, Father, that we allow you to deal with them. We put them out and we move forward and we begin to capitalize on what you're saying about us. Father, we thank you for it. I thank you that you have a vision, you have a plan, you have a purpose for, for these individuals and for us as a body and we are excited about it. So help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit, to, to begin to believe in you, to trust in you, and then in return, begin to trust in ourselves to make the moves, make the decisions, step out in those areas and do what you have called us to do. Father, we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, the whole family said, amen. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.